Today we'll be back in the Gospel of John. I guess we really haven't left the Gospel of John, have we? In a couple of years. Uh, the theme of this Gospel is the majesty and the glory of Christ. He's the eternal Logos, present in the beginning with God. John 1, 1. He's the creator, John 1, 3. He's the life and the light that shines in the darkness, verse 5 in chapter 1. He's the eternal word, the Logos that became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, as John tells us. Today, Lord willing, we will see his glory on full display in what would seemingly be an awful transaction in the denial of Peter. Many people look at Peter's denial as the ultimate failure, but it's not. We're going to focus... On John 18, and we're going to kind of skip over a little bit here. Let me look at this. John 18, we're going to go from verse 12 down to 18. And then we're going to skip 19 through 24. And then jump back in at 25. And the reason for this is that the scene changes. It goes from outside of the, the trial to, to inside and then back outside. So we're just going to stay outside and focus on Peter this morning. It's a, uh, you know, you read this and you think, well, this is pretty straightforward. This is, you know, Simon Peter followed Jesus and, and the other disciple that's mentioned. They, that, that disciple is known to the high priest, and, and they, and you're kind of like, well, just Peter denies Jesus, and and that was bad, and and let's move on. But as I studied this, I was just like, the depth of this, as always, I always think, well, this is not you know a, a lot to take in, but as always, I'm you know, shoot myself in both feet. And I'm like, yes, this is a lot to take in. So we're going to have to take our time and sort through this. And hopefully, and definitely, we will see the glory of Christ on full display in Peter's denial, which should bring us great comfort this morning as we all fail. But let's, uh, let's read John 18. We'll jump in at verse 12. Like I said, if you are able, please stand with me. As we give honor to this wonderful passage, verse 12 says that then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went to Jesus, went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. 
Then the other disciple, who was known by the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Let's jump down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it again and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Let's pray. O merciful Father, as we come before you this morning, as we break the bread of life, your word, we just ask that you bless it this morning. Bless the preaching of your word. O merciful Father, use me in spite of me. Lord, have your way this morning with your people. Let us bring glory and honor to you. Let us glean from this. Let us be nourished. In Christ's name we all pray. All of God's children said, Amen. So these people that were arresting Jesus were literally knocked down by the mere statement of I am he, or I am. They weren't able to stand. Then he puts Peter's, or uh, Malchus's ear back on, after Peter cut it off. Puts his ear back on, and they're still not <laughs> moved. In all reality, he could have spoke them out of existence. You're done. But that wasn't part of the plan. The arresting party consisted of both Jews and Gentiles. They have the temple police and some of their superiors. Look in Luke 22. We'll go down to verses 52 and 53. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So they, they, feared, they feared Jesus. The Romans and the Jews both feared Jesus. They didn't want to riot. These people had just... These followers of him, they had hailed him as the Messiah. This is the reason they arrested him in, in the middle of the night. It's between 2 and 5 a.m. We're mere hours from his, his crucifixion at this point. Jesus had just finished praying. Let's go back to Luke again. In chapter 22, 39 to 46. This is, this is Jesus praying. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And he rose up from prayer, and he had come to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus is still counseling. He's perspiring blood. He's like, I'm encouraging you to pray, lest you fall, lest you stumble into temptation. He's still ministering to his disciples. Mere hours from his death. He prays that the Father's will be done. Verse 46, again, he encourages them to pray. Sweating, blood. The one that, that came to bring absolute freedom. Absolute liberty was being bound. The God of the universe, the creator, the eternal Logos. The one that spoke everything into being could have spoke these men out of being after they had seen him, after they fell down at the mere mention of the I am, after seeing him restore man's ear, he allowed himself to be bound. And in their ignorance, <laughs> they thought they did it. Like, all right, <laughs> here you go. The arrogance, the pride that they must have had, dead in trespasses and in sin. And they led him away to Annas first, it says. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Luke records that Annas and Caiaphas both being high priests. Annas was the high priest from 86 to 15. So it's, it's very likely... He was still regarded as a high priest, much like when we see an ex-president, they refer to them as Mr. President. I would imagine it's in the same respect. Uh, unlike our ex-presidents, except for the one we had last who's still talking a lot. <laughs> he was very active within the temple. Five of Annas' sons and one grandson served as high priest. He's also uh, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. He would have been extremely influential, to say the least, especially his whole family came after him and then his son-in-law. So you, you kind of wonder, why was he taken to Annas first? Well, there's no real clear answer, but Annas conducted business within the temple he received a cut of the profits from the animals that were sold for sacrifices. So, like, and it was just crooked from the beginning to the end. Say, you know, Richard brings a, I'm the high priest, and, and Richard brings me a, a, an animal for sacrifice. I'm like, well, this one's not quite good enough. And then, you know, I sell him one that is quote unquote good enough. And then I put that one at the back of the line and sell it to some other sucker. That's really their business. That's what they did. So he got a cut from that. This is, this is what Annas did. He also got profits from the fees that they, they charged to exchange money into 
Jewish currency. So they, you know, they charged a, a percentage of that. Annas got a cut of that. His business was in the temple become known as the, uh, the, 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 the Bazaar of Temple. Uh, Annas, the temple outside the temple, was because, they called it Bazaar of uh, Annas, where he bought and sold and, and made money and profited. So Jesus twice cleansed the temple. And this was bad for business, for Annas. He, he, he said, you, know, you made my father's house a, a den of thieves. He's calling Annas a thief. So this preliminary hearing was most likely not much more than a chance for Annas to, to rub it in his face. It, it, to question him. And then he sends him to Caiaphas. So there's really no point in taking him there. All the, the scribes and the Pharisees were, weren't even there. It was, it was before him. Verse 14 says, Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die. And we, you guys remember we went through that back in John 11. He unknowingly prophesied because he was the high priest and he was the one that... God placed these words into his mouth that it was expedient for one man to die for the many, right? So for them, it was out of, he was an inconvenience. He was bad for business. For, for us, the, child of, the children of God, that we would benefit from this expedience of one man to die because he would pay the, 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 the price of our sin. He was the remission of sins. And his grace upon grace, as it says in chapter 1, is poured out on us. It was expedient that one man had died, would die. His reasoning was way off. It was for their personal benefit again. In John 12, 19, they says the whole world has gone after him. We've got to get rid of him. If we don't, we're going to be out of business. Annas was going to be hurting. I guess I'm that guy today. I'm sorry. His death was for eternal gain, not lost for those that loved him. It was for our eternal gain, for his eternal glory. Caiaphas spoke on behalf of God, being the high priest, and didn't have a clue. Caiaphas' tenure as the high priest was one of the longest of the first century. It lasted 18 years. It means he was a great opportunist. He was a great political opportunist. He did what he had to do to stay in power. They were appointed by Rome at this point. Jesus being a threat must be eliminated. Expedient for one man to die. said, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known by the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you're not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coal stood there 
for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood and warmed himself also. So Simon Peter followed Jesus, also the unnamed disciple. In Matthew 26, it says that all of his disciples fled, right? They, when, when he was arrested, they all left, not, not 10 and there, or there would be nine and then 11. Yeah. Judas is already gone. He showed up here early in, in this. But, uh, so they had all fled. Peter was bold when he drew his sword and tried to cut the man's head off and got his ear. He must have some, at some point regained his composure. And John, oh, let the bag be, let the cat out of the bag a little bit. But anyway, John, we're going to get to that. They followed, they followed Jesus. As after he was arrested, this unnamed disciple, which I've already given away as John, is <laughs> some, some would argue that it was Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus. They would be highly unlikely if, if neither of these were, none of them were at the Last Supper, neither of these guys. John never mentions himself in his gospel at all. He only refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved in chapter 20 and 21. In John in verse, chapter 13, verse 23, this disciple is mentioned with Peter about to identify his betrayer. In John 21, this unnamed disciple is mentioned again then down in verse 24, this disciple is identified as the one who wrote these things, which wrote this book. So the un, unnamed disciple that went in is obviously John. Some object to this, but it's, it's the most likely scenario. Their claim was, the, the, the Greek word here was a more casual knowledge than that of someone as, of, of a common fisherman would have been allowed in, in, in the presence of the high priest, right? So... They argue that John was not this disciple because he was not a man of renown or he, he, he wasn't on that level where he could have this relationship with the high priest. So his father was a fisherman and fishermen were businessmen. So it wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been at the bottom of the rung for as far as status goes. And it would have been likely that he may have delivered fish to the high priest over the years. Also, his mother was of a priestly descent on, on her side, and he may have known the high priest that way. Uh, it really doesn't matter. You know, John knew this man well enough to vouch for Peter. He goes back out and says, this guy's with me. Can you let him in? He speaks to the, the doorkeeper, this lady. So he's able to vouch for Peter. Peter comes in. This demonstrates he's, he's known well enough to say, this guy's with me, can you let him in? And Peter and John, you know, at this point, they'd overcome their desire, their, their fear with the desire to be with their Lord. They, they, this was more important to them. Peter, Peter was displaying great courage in following Jesus with John 
to this place where their lives could ultimately end. It was more important to them to be with Jesus. So they overcome this fear, and then they're there. And then the servant girl asked this question, and she says, you're, you're not one of those guys, are you? You're not one of this man's disciples, are you? And the way this is phrased in the Greek, it, it demands a negative answer. It's, it's almost like, you're, you're not. You couldn't be with him. You're not one of these guys. And then out of embarrassment or for whatever reason, we don't know, you know, Peter's like, no, no. And I'll just tell you right now, this is one of the most embarrassing things that I've ever done in my life. When I was a young believer, I had to drive to Knoxville and I was meeting, I was trading motorcycles or something. And this lady who I was dealing with saw a bumper sticker that said, we still pray. And she says, you're not one of those, are you? And I just said, it's my granddad's truck. Knowing full well, I was one of those. I denied Christ. One of the most embarrassing things in my life. So, the negative answer that was expected, Peter gives, just like I did, or I did just like Peter did, you know, if he was first. I gave that negative answer, you know. We like to think that we're incapable of that, even to this day, right? We, we don't. You know, you hear, you hear these preachers with their chest poked out, I'll never divide my Lord, you know. You would. And if you don't do it verbally, you do it in thought and in deed. It's not, it's not true that we're incapable of that. We take the name of the Lord daily in vain. We, you say, I'm a Christian, and our behavior or our thoughts, oh my gosh, let me get me started on thoughts. Uh, that's uh, for men. You know, you can all know what is on my mind right now. I don't know what women, I don't know what women deal with other than maybe wanting to kill men. You know? It's hard. I've heard one person say, our mind is like a river full of trash. We can't really stop it. Full of impure thoughts. It lead us into temptation. We dwell on it too much. And it turns to sin, gross sin, daily. We deny Christ. And Peter, at, at this point, there's no real good reason to, to do what he did. He's already seen with John. John's already said, this guy's with me. Everybody knows John is a, a disciple. No good reason, really. If you look, well, let me look at this. And John Calvin said, we remember Peter's earlier boasting, Lord, I will lay down my life for you in John 13, 37. John Calvin Comments now at the voice of a single maid, and that voice unaccompanied by threatening, 
He is confounded and throws down his arms. Such a demonstration of the power of man. Calvin sees Peter's failure as an instance of frailty, which is common to us all. He continues, Do we not continually tremble at the rustling of falling leaf? A false appearance of danger, which is still distant, made Peter tremble. And are we not every day led away from Christ's child absurdities? The servant woman didn't ask Peter whether he was an insurrectionist, a heretic, a blasphemer, or an enemy of Judaism. She merely asked him if he was a disciple of Jesus. Peter, despite the humble station of the questioner and her unthreatening manner of speech, immediately abandoned his fidelity to Christ. A woman in some translations listed as a slave girl, was just standing at the door, not really an important person in the grand scheme of things, just like, you wouldn't happen to be one of those guys, would you? No. No, he says. Maybe he thought he would have been denied entry. Like, well, well that wouldn't work because John just walked in, right? John vouched for him. John was let in. John got him in. In doing this, this, this denial, so you've, you've kind of you've got your foot in the door with, with full-blown just sin. Well, you've already sinned, but it just makes it easier to do it, easier to repeat it, which he's going to do, and which Christ said that he was going to do. And as, as Christians, and you know, if I could go back, obviously, maybe, well, I don't know. I guess I wouldn't have because I've already done it. But our, our, our intent should be that, yes, I'm a Christian. Our intent should be, I love the Lord Jesus. In all reality, it should be to the point where someone would ask us about Jesus, that they would, they would want to know more. And Peter would be more comfortable doing it again. It's no different with Christians today. We, we find comfort. You know, we want, to, we want to stand by the fire with unbelievers and not talk about those things. You know, we want to be warm and filled and just get along and get through and get by. We don't want to, we don't want to rock the boat. You know, I, was, I spent last week at my brother's brother-in-law's house in Florida, and uh, his friends are really rough around the edges, to say the absolute least. And uh, they were there to help and comfort him, but he stopped them because they were pretty vulgar. And he asked me, he's like, "Aren't you some kind of?" pastor or elder he didn't know he's are you like this whatever and i was like well yeah i do this at my church so he tells his friends he gets on him he's like calm down you know he he's like this guy is a christian he he, he wanted them to kind of watch what they said around me and me being stupid it's like well it's nothing i've never said you know this is your house I'm a guest. If you're okay with this, I'm, I'm fine. Well, I wish I would have just stuck with being offended because <laughs> it was almost like 
it was a challenge at that point. And I, I had to get up and, and leave several times. Like, wow. And they never shut up. Like, it was just, like, nonstop, you know, cursing and cursing and, and taking the Lord's name in vain. And I'm just like, whew. And it, you don't realize how much it takes out of you. You really don't until it's over. And, and, and you don't understand at first why you, you're, you're just so downtrodden until you've been exposed to, to just this ungodly behavior. And it brings it to, to the tip of my tongue, these words that I don't want to say because it's like I'm inundated with it over and over and over. And that, you're denying Christ. I really would like to think that I'm unoffended by people's speech. But the Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, is offended. In my flesh, I'm not offended. In my flesh, I'm like, I'm, I'm no better than you. And, and I'm, in my spirit, I'm no better than them, but I am redeemed by a holy God who resides in me. And, and my spirit groans because I'm exposed to this or that. My spirit is grieved. would have been easier like I said just yes I'm offended please shut up (laughs) please and one of them started asking me about my church you know it's like well what do you believe and I started telling him I'm trying I was like okay maybe I can lead into the gospel with this and it's like he started just finishing every everything I tried to say and it was it was to the point where it's like well you don't really want to hear what I got to say you just kind of want to join in 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 trying to make me feel like you understand what I'm saying you know just trying to to blow me off and it really didn't last that long in Psalm 1-1 if you were here yesterday you heard this read it said blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful I was not blessed by sitting there I didn't like it Peter was in the midst of the people mocking Christ. It would have been even more difficult to remain faithful, like at the tip of his tongue, like just trying to fit in, trying to be one of the guys, trying not to say something to out yourself with these people that are blaspheming. You know Christ is the topic of, of conversation at the fire. I mean, what else are they? That's what they're there for. So right now, many of us might be thinking of Peter is basically a coward. He mustered up enough courage to be with him as the rest were scattered. He was at the trial because of his love and his devotion to Christ. James Montgomery Boyce writes, there was... No miserable specimen chosen from among the ranks of Christ's worst followers. This is the best. Yet it is precisely that one who falls. Not only dreadfully, but speedily. And with the slightest provocation. 
woman that's not even named with no, no kind of authority. You're not one of them, are you? No. Peter's denial really started with his overconfidence. Back in John 13, it's like, I will lay my, down my life for you, Lord. And Jesus responds, you will deny me not once but three times. He's pretty cocky in Mark, comparing himself to the other disciples. And verse 29, he says, if all were made to stumble, yet I will not be. In verse 31, more, more boldly, he says, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you, speaking to our Lord. This is an indication that we're not to tread lightly on future trials. Peter's miscalculation was I, I, I. It's I. It's all about me. You know, even even when he came out of the boat and he he's on the water and he's like, I'm doing it. <laughs> you know, he looks down and immediately he starts to sink. Like, nope. Get into it. I like to think that we would react to trials in a certain way. You know, we would want to be bold, and you know, you hear people all the time. Well, if somebody did this, I'm going to respond in this way because that's the brave thing to do, and that's the, you know, in reality, you don't know how you're going to respond. We don't know until that time comes. You may cower in the corner. You might say, no, I'm not. In John 15, 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. People take Philippians 4, 13 way out of context and emphasize the I. I can do. They they de-emphasize Christ, all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? A good brother, Woody Berryman, told me I had too many eye issues one time. <laughs> it's very humbling, yet true. I still have too many eye issues. Peter was warned to pray lest he fall into temptation, correct? He didn't actively pray. He fell asleep. An overconfident, self-reliant person will not actively pray. W. Krumacher writes, Instead of prayer, he still depends upon himself and upon the chance of accidents and circumstances, Satan and the world already stand armed against him on the field. He had no need to fear them. He had only put on the dress, breastplate of faith. Boyce points out the irony here that is the person we think would least need to pray, namely Jesus, pay attention, was in fact one of the most fervent in prayer. If we were to pick someone who needed prayer, it would be Peter. Yet Peter is sleeping in the garden while the Lord is pouring out his soul before his heavenly Father. How like Peter we are, how often we fail the Lord because of it. 
Paul urged believers to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians. Yet we fail to arm and equip ourselves for spiritual warfare because, like Peter, we don't think we need God's help. The very people who need prayer the most are the ones that pray the least. I'm not excluding myself at all because the past this month where I'm you know with what we've been dealing with with my mother-in-law I honestly should have been praying more and seeking the face of God and uh, that comfort that comes with that I denied myself that so this would uh, this would be understandable in Peter's case, given the, the danger here and, and, and Jesus' desire to protect his disciples. So, in a way, this was God's grace that Peter denied our Lord. If Peter had not denied our Lord, he would have put himself in greater danger. He would have put himself right in the midst of it. He could have been killed sooner. But Christ's desire was for none of them to be harmed. He was kept at a distance. Or he kept himself at a distance. He lied. And we do the same. We kind of at a distance. We don't be labeled as fundamentalist or, or you know, those people following at a distance, we do that. It really just boils down to pride. We don't we don't want people to look at us negatively because we want to be respected, I guess, and and looked at in a in a positive light. We don't want to have to explain our worldview to an unbeliever. Because oftentimes it comes with with a headache. They scorn us. Proverbs sixteen eighteen, let's look at that. This pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty, haughty spirit before a fall. Peter's haughty spirit, his unwillingness to pray, led to his fall. This great disciple, one of the greatest, him and John were the main two guys. It's the ones you hear the most about. He fell and he fell hard. We skip down to well let's let's kind of look at this for just a second. Verse nineteen to twenty-four. We're gonna skip that for now. And it, but it goes back into the questioning here. And it seems kind of a little out of place. But John never wants to detract from Christ. So he's telling this story of Peter's denial. But he takes a break to go back in 
to what's going on with Christ. Because he doesn't want us too far off with, with focusing on Christ. It's, it's his great pleasure and it's, his, it's part of his worship. To, it's why he doesn't even name himself. He wants us to, to see what's going on with Christ. He doesn't want to detract from that too much. But for the, like I said earlier, for the sake of this, this storyline and, and, and it's changing scenes, we're, we're going to stick with what's going on with Peter here. But don't think we're trying to take away. Uh, next week we'll go into this and then tell the full story with that. So Peter's asked the second time in verse 25. It's like, now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, you're not one of his disciples also, are you? And he, he denied it and said, I'm not. The second time, you would think, like, okay, well, I can fix this. I can redeem myself. I can say that, yes, I am. You know, like the, the preacher with his chest poked out, I'll never deny my Lord, and maybe he has a chance to redeem himself after doing it one time. Like, yeah, yeah, I am. What can I do for you? Matthew 26 that says that they, they recognized Peter's Galilean accent and, and they asked him because of that. He says, you're not, you're not one of those guys, are you? If, if, you, if you think about that, our speech, our, our speech should be an indicator that we're, we're followers of Christ. Like, they, they recognize his accent and our, not necessarily our accent, because everybody just would know I'm from East Tennessee, but the way I conduct myself in my speech and in my business that people would say, this guy's different. That should be our desire. Our, our speech, our conduct should make people see something different in us. Our desire to glorify God. The Holy Spirit within us testifying that we are children of God as it comes out, as it pours from us. We cannot and we do not and will not ever fit into this world. We have opportunity every day to say, I am. I'm his. And this is why. Because he bought me. He paid for me. The, the opportunity to answer for the hope that is within us in First Peter is what Peter says. Then one of the servants here in verse 26, it says, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him, Whose ear Peter cut off said, did I not see you in the garden with him? So, so here we are. He said, wait a minute. You sound like one of his disciples. You talk like one of his disciples. You walk with one of his disciples in here. And he vouched for you. He says, this guy's with me. And then, then you have the relative of Malchus. They're like, weren't you? I'm pretty sure you were there. And Peter just tried to kill Malchus, and it's getting deeper at this point. And it'd be highly unlikely that he would want to be tied at that, to that after 
denying Jesus twice. And then he denies him once again. In Mark 14, 71, we're told that in denying him, he used profanity. Like he was angry. Like, no, explicitive, I am not one of his explicitive disciples. He used profanity to strengthen his argument, I guess. The first was the, the lesser temptation, just trying to, trying to fit in. This led him into wicked company, which made it more necessary to, and easier to double down. Like, well, I've made it this far. I might as well just continue in it. Even though he knew it was wrong. Jesus is shown here as, as our, our source for strength. Any deviation from following him results in our denial. It makes us weak, our pride. If pride sets in and we fail miserably. For Peter, Jesus, was, had, Jesus had made a way for Peter's repentance and his restoration. He had told him that a rooster would crow after his third denial. Verse 27, Peter denied him and a rooster crowed. Peter heard this and he was brought back to remembrance. He was brought back to that moment in time where Jesus said, you're going to deny me. This is what he said. You're going to deny me. And this reminder was the rooster. Matthew 26 says that he went out and wept bitterly. He was crushed. He was broken by his sin. In John 21, verses 15 to 17, Jesus restores him. Let's look at that. This grace upon grace. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, son, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. It's interesting here. In verses 15 and 16. The word for love that Jesus uses is agapio, to love dearly, a divine love. It's a derivative of, of, of agape, agape love. And, and you, where you see in the, in the scriptures where it says, beloved, that is agapetos, divinely loved ones. 
a love from God. And then the last one, well, Simon responds with, Lord, you know, I phileo you, which is more of a brotherly or love toward someone close to you. And he responds with, Lord, you know, I phileo you. And the third time Jesus says, Simon, do you phileo me? And he says, Lord, you know all things, you know, I phileo you. I love you this way. There's a lot of debate on why that word changes. This agape, again, is a divine love. And I really think it boils down to Peter understanding that he's incapable of this agape. We cannot love God as he loves us. We'd like to think that Peter had just failed our Lord. Our Lord is restoring him. Do you love me? Three times. Two different ways. He finally came to Peter's level. Peter says, you know I love you. He was crushed. Three times he denied Christ. Three times Christ says, do you love me? I've heard it said that where Peter was really rambunctious and, and in his rambunctiousness he was like, you know I love you, Lord. I don't think that was the case. I think it was more of humility. It was more he was crushed. He says, Lord, I love you. So three times Peter's charged with taking care of who? The sheep. Feed my sheep. Tend my flock. As I mentioned a little bit, this ensured that Peter would live his denial. It was a grace of God that, that all this happened. You know, you don't always see the outcome when things are happening. You don't understand. And even in sin, like this was, Peter was crushed after the fact and wondered why. Why would I do that? And it was the grace of God. He may have been killed. And it was also that Christ would die alone. Christ forgave and he restored Peter on the basis of what he had just accomplished on the cross. It's like it was already paid for. I'm restoring you. This great disciple fell into great sin, restored by Christ. So I ask you, do you look at this full of pride? And you say, I will never deny my Lord. As this coward, this coward Peter, I I couldn't do that. (laughs) Trust me, the first people to say that are the first ones that are going to deny him. They're leaning on their own eye issues. They want to be the hero of their own story. We all do. Look what I did. I did this. I did that. Not I did this through Christ who strengthens me. If you're to boast, you're to boast in Christ. Christ is the hero. 
of all of our stories. So Peter's denial puts the glory of God, puts the glory of the Savior on display. It was not an ultimate failure. God is glorified in Peter's sin. Seems crazy, doesn't it? Grace upon grace poured out. Grace upon grace poured out to all of us daily as we sin, as we deny our Lord. It's not any different. It's not any different at all for us. Grace upon grace being continually poured out. Perfect grace. Peter was one of the greatest and failed miserably. If he can do it, we're going to do it too. But rest in this assurance that grace upon grace is poured out. Our Lord loves us. He bled and died for us. Let us live quorum Deo. That means to live in the face of God as if God was standing before us and we could see him. Let us live in that that respect that we may bring glory and honor to him. Let us pray. Merciful Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the risen Savior who took your wrath upon himself and bled and died for many that we may cry out, Abba, Father. Let us not forget the high cost of our salvation and the grace upon grace that's being poured out among us and on us continually. Lord, we love you and we praise your holy name. All of God's children said,